0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Jaw John Rafs, of course. We've got Jays, we got him for days. Josh, how are you doing?
1: Good to be back in person.
0: You know, I I hate to admit that I was totally on Zoom. <laughs> I was on Zoom pilot mode, and you texted me, I'm here. <laughs> And the first thing I went to do was open the Zoom call, and you were not there, and then I realized that you were literally standing at my front door. So here we are. We're back in person.
1: I really didn't say that to throw you under the bus. It just, <laughs> we had been, logistically, it was just easier the past couple weeks, and we've been doing some interviews, which right. obviously we're not doing in person, talking to people across the country. Right. So, yeah, we we're just kind of on Zoom autopilot, and now
0: it's back to in person. But we're back. We're back. I updated the graphic and everything above my head. As you can see, it's it's all about the Big 12 today um baylor kansas all that fun stuff we'll get we'll get deep into it in this podcast we're well into our conference preview series at this point we've done the big east and we've done the acc uh you can find both our uh, josh and i's previews for those conferences on our uh, on our youtube page as well as our podcast feeds And then we also had interviews uh, to talk to people who are in and uh, and really immersed in those conferences. We talked to Lucas Harkins of HeatCheck College Basketball for the Big East uh, as a guy who covers Butler closely and that conference as a whole. And then we talked to Brendan Marks, uh, covers Duke and UNC for the Athletic. And uh, we talked to him about those two schools and the ACC at large as well. So if you missed those, you can go back and And catch those as well Um, we will have uh, someone to chat about the big 12 later in the week but per custom uh, uh, per usual here we are just the two of us to kind of break down the conference uh, between the two of us and then we'll hop into a third viewpoint in the next podcast did i miss anything do you need to get anything off your chest i want you to be in the best frame of mind for this podcast
1: I'm really trying to think about things I need to get off my chest, and there's there's nothing coming to mind right now. Okay. We're about to get to that point where all the sports are happening.
0: Yes. We're very, very close.
1: You know, it, it's, I was thinking about it this weekend. There's there's postseason baseball,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which the Phillies are participating in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which means I need to pay even more attention, <laughs> in addition to building up to a world cup in addition to the nfl in addition to getting ready for college basketball in addition to the nba Not to mention that, we are literally
0: two weeks away two weeks tomorrow is is two weeks from the no two weeks today right the tuesday night it's the tuesday the 18th i think is like the 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 two tnt games mm-hmm. it's i mean the nba absolutely came out out of absolutely nowhere yep. um of course we've been waiting on the edge of our seats for the college basketball season to start but you know like the pacers here in town they play their first preseason game tomorrow night and they play four games and then it's off to the regular season just like that um training camp is a much more and right that's on the heels of football where training camp is a year long is a is a month-long proposition and they have like 16 17 open practices and there's there's only three preseason games, but they're a week apart, and it's so it's, it's so much more right. It's so much more drawn out. Um, and then the NBA, it's like, yep, we'll start our training camp kind of, you know, in the middle of September, and then we'll get a we'll get we'll get a couple of preseason games in, and then by the middle of October, we're we'll where we are, uh, rocking and rolling.
1: I've I've really enjoyed looking at the the headliners in terms of stats for these preseason games because mm-hmm. you just really never know what you're going to get. because right. you see a team win. And then it's, oh, I remember that dude from college. Look at that guy getting a good performance Mm -hmm. in there. Good for him. He's not going to play in the regular season, but look at what he did.
0: Do do, do you know what we need to celebrate for six and a half seconds? You know who got the bag this week, right?
1: Now I'm blanking, but yes.
0: Our boy Tyler Hero. Our boy Tyler Hero got the bag this week. I could not
1: place the player, but I knew it. Four
0: years, $130 million. Shouts to shouts to our boy Tyler Hero. We were on the Tyler Hero we train were, we got a long that time right. ago. Now, by the time <laughs> we got to the draft, everybody was on the hero train, and then then we got to the bubble, and Hero was awesome, and then everybody was on the hero train. But back at Kentucky, when he was averaging you know thirteen points a game for a like. What I remember, a relatively underwhelming Kentucky team that got, yeah. that got better in the, in the tournament and kind of got to that point that a lot of Kentucky teams get to. That's like, I don't want to play that team. Um, but we were in early, so I think we, we can take some liberties in a small celebration of, of Tyler Hero getting the bag. Um, oh,
1: oh, the other thing I was going to say is, on the sadder side of things, why, why you got to treat Mac McClum like that?
0: <sighs> Mac Daddy. What does he have to do? I don't know.
1: I mean, that dunk he had to, was ridiculous. I know that means absolutely nothing, but...
0: Listen, listen, let's channel our inner like Mike. Let's bring a guy in that's just going to put put butts in the seats. I don't know if Mac McClung's putting
1: butts in the And he produced seats last season. He did. It wasn't like he... I mean, he was really good in the T-League. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to give that man a real chance. At, uh.
0: at the same time, I understand where the <laughs> hesitations are. I, sure. love, I love Mac McClung. I do, but the undersized inefficient scorer who his kind of the number one thing on his on his bullet point chart is electric dunker is is not exactly it's not exactly the cream of the crop of NBA I players mean, but, you could have said but,
1: something rather similar about Jordan Poole now not the sure. dunking but this idea of he was not a cr- incredibly efficient scorer now he can shoot the ball he always had that
0: right My and point. he's and he's half a foot taller than Mac McClung is sure
1: Yeah, Jordan Poole was much better set up to have a successful NBA career. My point is, if Jordan Poole can become what Jordan Poole is, and is going to get the compensation he is going to get, ultimately, depending on how this all plays out, you're telling me Mac McClane doesn't have a spot?
0: Right, and Jordan Jordan Poole's arrival, very much a result of, you know, Steph Curry breaking his hand, and the Warriors kind of flushing a season down the toilet, and... Late in that season it was kinda like Jordan Poole. He averaged twenty five over the last six, six games of the season and now we know where we are with Jordan Poole. But um we're always rooting for Mac Daddy McClellan. Absolutely. Always, always rooting for, for, for Mac two to actually get some foothold foothold in the NBA. Alrighty. Big twelve. We got five categories that we use to try and and break down as much of the conference, talk about as much as the conference as possible. It's a little easier in the Big 12 because the Big 12 has an appropriate number of schools at 10. Um, next year they'll actually have, or eventually they'll have, the number that is actually in their name. But we love the 10 schools. We love the double round robin. Um, so it's a little easier to get everybody in, but our five categories. Most exciting team, the most intriguing team, uh, and then we talk storylines for the conference heading into the season. The teams that you think have a chance of making the NCAA tournament, and then, of course, it wouldn't be a preview pod if we didn't pick a winner of the Big 12 in 2022-23. Shall we get into it? Let's do it. Mr. Doring, your most exciting team. T-C-U. Beautiful. Let's talk about them.
1: Your starting lineup is back. You're coached by Jamie Dixon. Yep. Why Mike Miles? Can we
0: talk about that for a second? Yep. Can we talk about how Pitt just kind of let Jamie Dixon walk? Like, that might be, in terms of the trajectory of of two schools, that might be the single most important decision that, like, of course, we're talking kind of in the 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 depths of college basketball here, but Pitt has gone on a very slippery slope that just keeps getting slipperier, slipperier and slipperier. Say that one five <laughs> times fast. And, t- and he's come into t- – um, my point is that Jamie Dixon is a Hall of Fame caliber college basketball coach, and he just kind of – Pitt didn't have all that big of an interest in keeping him around when there were some slow years at Pitt. Anyways, continue.
1: And so now you're talking about – well, the first thing I want to say, why is Mike Miles not getting more preseason All-American hype? I mean, yes, he's, you know, one of the guys you throw out there as best cards in the country. Mm. He could absolutely be a first or second team All American. Sure. With how good they're going to be and what he's the role he's going to play in that. So that's first. I still think this guy is maybe not criminally underrated, that might be a little bit too far. But he is still underappreciated nationally. They're already great defensively. They had the highest offensive rebounding percentage in the country, mm-hmm. by the way. Their issue was well their t- issues. 237th in effective field goal percentage, 330th in turnover percentage. Uh Got to take care of the basketball. Yeah, But you bring back your core. You add Rondell Walker from Oklahoma State. Shahada Wells barely played last season. That's another piece you get to add. You have the continuity in a huge way. We're going to talk more about that later in this podcast.
0: Uh
1: They could be terrific, and I am really excited to see just how good they can be. I am all on board with this.
0: The question here is: Is continuity king, mm-hmm. right? But um, right. they actually need to
1: be better than they were
0: last right. season, right? And that is my right. If I if you if you ask me to define my college basketball philosophy in five pillars, one of them would be continuity is fantastic. Continuity does not automatically translate to more success, mm-hmm. right? Because the 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 Conversation around TCU is right. This is a team that finished 26 at Kim Palm last year, 21 and 13. Basically, the only teams they lost to in conference last year were the good ones, save Kansas State at home. That one was a little bit of a stinker, but Kansas State was was pretty good last year. Um, not not great, but it's not like Kansas State this year. Like Kansas State is not going to be good even kind of this year. Um, respectable basketball team last year, but other than that, right? You had two losses to Baylor. You had A loss to Texas Tech, Um, you did beat them once, but you lost to Texas twice, you lost to Baylor twice, Um, you lost to Kansas twice. Um, No, I lied, sorry, my apologies. You beat Kansas once, but um, the point being that at some point you got to beat the other good teams in the conference, right? Right. Um,
1: They were very much that team that just won the games they were supposed to, and so you get in the NCAA tournament, and then they performed quite well in the NCAA tournament. Right but you need to take that next step right? right they are they have plenty to prove before you talk about them as top tier big
0: 12 and teams. and going from 8 and 10 in conference last year to going to like you know even just you know 12 and 6 but you know a team that is right cuz the conversation here is right you know Kansas is probably going to be there Baylor's going to be there is TCU there with them and that's going to come down to them doing something they didn't do last mm-hmm. year which was win multiple games against the other best teams in the Big 12. Um, I'm right there with you with Mike Miles. I think it's partly to do with the fact that you could name four other guards in this conference that also have a chance to be, or at least at least two, at least two or three. Um, and he sure. plays for TCU. I mean... With all due respect.
1: I will be launching a publicity campaign. This is going to be one of my things this season. That's I've funny. already decided.
0: I, I, I have absolutely no Unless
1: he falls off the face of the earth and I can't justify this. Right. But I feel pretty confident
0: mm-hmm. I'll be able to justify it. But, right, it, they they bring back pretty much everybody. But there are places that you really need them to improve, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You, you mentioned the turnover percentage. The three-point percentage is not good last year, sub 320. Um, the free throw shooting wasn't much better, which suggests that they're actually just bad shooters, <laughs> right? Not just they had an unlucky year, right? right? That's that's one of my favorite NBA draft people. Like they, so many lots of NBA draft people point to that thing when suggest you know can yep. that six ten guy you know cultivate a three-point right. shot and a, a lot good, of the yeah. times they look at that good shot from he, the free throw he line he shot 79 from the th- from the free throw line in college looks um, it
1: looks the release looks good from the free throw right line. exactly
0: right. which in theory suggests that the foundation of the shot is good um tcu's foundations don't seem to be that great um so some key places that they need to improve but you've got a you've got a, a world-class coach in jamie dixon and you've got a guy in mike miles who at the very least is a lock to be a first team all big 12 guy i don't think anybody's arguing you with that if you can take any solace in that whatsoever um but it's right you kind of get that rotation of who's that third team here um texas is certainly in that conversation as well but tcu uh, right there are they
1: your most exciting team as well they're
0: not okay baylor is my most exciting team. Ah. um We can, we'll just run through it. Stop me where you want me to, where you you want to stop me. Um, it starts in the backcourt, Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, and now Keontae George is being crowned the best freshman in the country. Um, it starts there. That could be the best backcourt in in the country. Um, it also could be a backcourt that's ridden with injuries again, because both Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer struggled with injuries last year. Um. But at the same time, when they were healthy last year, it was really hard to see. It is really hard to say that there was a team that was one hundred percent non-disputable better than Scott Drew's team last year, right? We looked up at the end of right, they were the number one team through the end of December.
1: Yeah, it took them a little while to get there, but they just kept winning. Right,
0: they just and then you just kept looking up. It's like, oh right, Baylor keeps on winning. Right. And then, right, you had some injuries. You had guys before the season get injured. And that's why they're they're my most exciting team, right? The the backcourt is, right, I, get, I gave you those three guys, and there are three more guys that will probably yep. contribute to the team in, in some way, shape, or form. You know, you start with Langston Love. The other five-star with Kendall Brown a year ago, who tore his ACL before the season started. And so we haven't seen Langston Love yet. Dale Bonner, Donovan Grimes, also just there. Um, and, right, some of the best... Scott drew teams. They had a lot of backcourt depth. They've got that this year. Um, some transfers in Jalen Bridges and Caleb Lohner, both of those guys coming from, you know, BYU not technically a high major team, but I think is a team that we consider playing at a high major yep. level mm-hmm. at this point. Um, soon will be a high major. <laughs> soon will be a high major, right. Um, the only thing, the, 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 the big question for me for this team this year is, how do we ever get a completely healthy front court with Flo Thamba and Jonathan Chachua? Because I like Flo Thamba, right? When you're that lanky and that you know tall and can block shots, you're always going to be effective in the back line of a college basketball team. But that's the that that guy next to him is, I think, the biggest question here, right? Yep. When Chachua comes back, right? We have no qualms about who he is as a college basketball player, but post injury um does he ever get to the point this year where we feel like yep that's the the, that's the guy that we remember at full health um it's not like these other guys are completely out of the weeds um when it comes to injuries so it's it's a team that if they are healthy the talent suggests they're one of the best teams in the country um but a lot of guys on this roster and especially the proven guys on this roster, pretty much all of them have some sort of injury history, which makes it exciting and nerve-wracking. And at the end of the day, it's still a Scott Drew-led basketball team. And we're just at that point with Scott Drew that he deserves the benefit of the doubt. And uh, But I'm very excited, especially with Keontae George. It's fun to have a freshman at Baylor that is that highly thought of nationally um, in terms of the type of player he could be. But... Um, all of these things I kind of just you know threw up a lot of information at you, but um, very excited for the Bears.
1: Yeah, and, and Keontae George is fascinating to me because he's so different than Kendall Brown last season. Right. And I'm really curious to see what that ends up meaning because one of the, the things you could point to last season is there weren't a lot of guys who could get their own shot and right. could you know James Akinjo certainly could. Flagler could, LJ Cryer could, but when you start losing some of those guards, all of a sudden they're you know 80% of themselves if they're playing, mm-hmm. and then you're asking Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sohan to be more aggressive offensively and initiate more, and that's just not what they do. Right. Kante George gets buckets. He's a completely different player. Now the flip side to that is, I said this last season, I will continue to say it, I don't think Brown and Sohan got enough credit for what they allowed Bale to do defensively. It is the same reason they were so good on defense the year before because of what Mark Vital provided. Mm-hmm. I don't know who that player is. This is going to look a little bit differently. And if you're going to throw... Uh, certainly they could throw four guards out there because, like you said, they have six of them. Mm-hmm. Five, six, however you want to categorize all these players that they feel really good about. Langston Love could be really good this season. Mm-hmm. But does it work defensively if you're missing Chama Chacho for most of the season... So you don't have two bigs, you have one, and you don't have that six seven guy or six five guy who can guard one through four, one through five, and allows you to turn what could be a disadvantage defensively into an incredible offensive advantage because you you're fine defensively and nobody can guard that four out lineup. Right. That's what I'm really curious about with this team because absolutely the talent is there. I mean, you go up and down the roster and it is incredible how good all of these players could be. Right. And you've got, you know, all American candidates in the backcourt,
0: which is a very good place to start. Right. And I I, I don't think I, while they bring back quite a bit, I don't think I don't think it's responsible of us to overlook the things that they lost as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because they did lose James Akenjo. They did lose Matthew Meyer, which um and Matthew Meyer One of the better, at least from a statistics sample, right, certainly a big part of elite Baylor defense um, the last few years. So having to fill those roles as well is certainly not something that can go at the very least unnoticed.
1: Yeah, there's and the health aspect of this. It's hard to—you can't judge them based off last season and say that's their ceiling because they didn't even get close because they right. weren't healthy. Right. It was one player, and then that player got healthy, and then it was somebody else, and then Chama Chachwa was done for the year. Think back to how good this team was at the beginning of the season and right. then take it to another level. Mm-hmm. That's where they could be if everything goes according to plan and everybody stays healthy.
0: Right. Your most intriguing team.
1: Texas. Yep. Didn't right have to there think hard it. about this one. We're right there with you. Right. There's a lot to get to here. First, you have two five-star freshmen, Dylan Mitchell, Arterio Morris, who are probably going to come off the bench because there's not a spot for them in the starting lineup. Right. I want to start there. Now, also need to acknowledge, yes, Arterio Morris got arrested for assault in June. So far, you haven't really heard anything from Texas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So... We can have a conversation about that at a different time. We don't have time to get into it as we're previewing the entire conference. Right. Wanted to at least acknowledge that. Though. Sure. Because that is a storyline that should carry over and be part of the conversation with this team. Mm-hmm. But the point being, those guys probably aren't going to get the, into the starting lineup because you have too many other pieces. Right. That's how talented this team is on paper. Then you have Sergio Jabari Rice from Mexico State, who was really good, and my guy Brock Cunningham, who is going to get minutes because he just makes your team better, mm. regardless of what the numbers are. He's not going to play 25 minutes a game, but he's going to be in that rotation because he does all of the little things exceptionally well, and he's a great offensive rebounder. Yep. They have all kinds of depth and all kinds of different pieces Chris Beard can throw out there to sort of match and do what he wants and attack different matchups. There are also reasons last year was disappointing. You know, Marcus Carr wasn't great, and Dylan DeSue was hurt, mm-hmm. which is also part of this, yep. if you get him healthy. They could be so good, and of course, bring in entire Hunter too. But it's kind of the same conversation of last season, not in the sense that they're bringing all of these transfers that need to fit together, mm-hmm. but I need to actually see it happen for me to believe this is going to be a top 10, top 15 team in the country. They look great on paper. So they did last year too Mm -hmm. and were underwhelming. And, you know, it's not like this is a completely new team. A lot of those pieces are back. Mm -hmm. So there's just all kinds of things going on here that I I have no clue how this is going to turn out. I could see them being a top five team in the country. I could see them struggling to stay in the top 25. Neither would surprise me.
0: (laughs) I think we've. I think we all noticed the hesitations at the beginning of last year, and because it was Chris Beard, we ignored him. Yep. Because I rem- we I remember we had this exact same conversation about are there too many cooks in the kitchen, and still like they were really highly thought of at the beginning of last season. I think we're we're leaning in towards, and not just you and I, but a lot of guy a lot of people leaning into this area where texas is almost underrated because it gets to a point where it would be silly to suggest that this roster isn't going to be any good and i think there are some people that are just kind of too far out on texas as a result of last season but with that being said you know you said they don't have a bunch of transfers to try and fit the pieces in but I'm still not sure that they figured out last season how to fit the pieces last year. So they got to fit those questions. Right. That that, Mm -hmm. those pieces still need to fit in a cohesive way. Um, Like, I think there are fair questions to be asked about are players happy. And I mean, Courtney Ramey chose not to play his last year of college basketball at Texas. I think that's an important thing to take note of when trying to dissect what it's actually like internally in this basketball program right now. Um, but with all of that means, I mean, their backcourt is Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr, right? <laughs> their frontcourt is Christian Bishop and Dylan DeSue. They got t- they got Timmy Allen on their team. Ted- t- Timmy? Teddy? One of those. Timmy. Timmy. Sorry. Timmy Allen. On- and we haven't even gotten to the two five-stars, right? Yep. I mean, it is, it's is—they it, are, once again, the official— They've got that guy on their team too, team, mm-hmm. right? And everything that you just said is completely valid, right? Um, when it comes to when it comes to reasons that I have a better feeling about Texas this year, it starts with Tyrese Hunter because that takes a lot of pressure off of Marcus Carr. Yep. I think that's important. Um, Tyrese Hunter, Dylan Mitchell, um, both of those guys should be elite defensively um they were texas were four, was 14th at Ken Palm last year in defensive efficiency i would be surprised if they're worse than that oh yeah I no, mean, they I, should be better than that they should be better than yeah that, right i would be at the very least they should break even in, in that category um and then at at the end of the day it just comes down to are your do your studs play basketball like they're studs right because at the end of the day and we can talk about too many cooks in the kitchen. We can talk about Chris Beard, you know, not being able to figure out what's the ideal way to get these guys to mesh, whatever it is. The bottom line is that the best players on this team didn't play well enough last year. And for this team to be as good as they can be, it starts with Marcus Carr, it starts with Timmy Allen, it starts with those guys that had far better production at the places they came from rather than last year at Texas. Mm-hmm. It starts there, there are reasons to be excited, but but is their issue the same as it was last year? Because it's pretty fair to say that yes, it is. There are just a lot of guys that think really highly of themselves as college basketball players because they should, and how do you get those guys to intermingle? Because if you don't figure out the answer to that question, it's probably going to look pretty similar to last year.
1: And the final thing I'll throw out there in terms of the intrigue for me is If this goes poorly again, we have to have a different conversation about Chris Beard.
0: And I was, and because you brought it up, like that was one of my storylines here is do we, what do we feel about Chris Beard at the end of this season? Yep. Are we kind of back to, because I think there's some understandable doubt when it comes to Chris Beard outside of Texas Tech. Is there just a difference between Texas Tech Chris Beard and the culture there And the role that guys like Mark Adams played in that culture. That's It's
1: not even just Chris Beard at Texas Tech. It's Texas. Now, Chris Beard was instrumental in setting this up. But Texas Tech being a program built for success. Right. That you don't need Chris Beard to have a really good season at Texas Tech, as Mark Adams is proving. Right. Yeah. All right. I feel like it's kind of tied 1-1, sort of, to use a a basketball example, right? Point Chris Beard for Texas Tech. Mm -hmm. Point anti-Chris Beard, I guess, (laughs) for year one at Texas. Sure. This is the tiebreaker. Are we going to say, okay, last year was just, you know, he hadn't really completely thrown together a team like that before, as most coaches hadn't. It was a learning process. He figured it out, and Chris Beard is back to being one of the best coaches in the country. Or he has this incredible roster two years in a row and got – Something similar, if not less, out of it than Shaka Smart was doing. And that right. was the whole criticism of Shaka Smart, right. right? So that is part of this for me too, is we're gonna have to reevaluate one way or another, depending on what Texas does this season. And
0: and, and not and it doesn't have to be as black and white as is Chris Beard a good coach yeah, or not. Right. Like I think we all know that Chris Beard is a good basketball yeah. coach, but for the same reasons that we were pleasantly surprised by Marquette last year or two years ago, however long Shaka is. Last season. The, was last year year mm-hmm. one. Right. But it became pretty clear pretty quickly that Shaka Smart was way more comfortable at Marquette than he was at Texas. And maybe Chris Beard is just more comfortable in a place where the culture is defined by the program rather than him. Because, right, that's the uphill battle he's fighting right now. is trying to change the culture of a program, and he's kind of at the helm of that.
1: And it's his. Right. You know, Texas is home for him, which is part of this, too, I'm sure. He's feeling an incredible emotional weight that doesn't come with a program you had no previous
0: attachment to. Right. And the type of player that he was getting yep. at Texas Tech was just different, Yep, right? Um, so we'll see. I think that is a very big part of, of this year in this conference and in the country in general. But in this conference specifically, how do we feel about the Texas version of Chris Beard when we get to the end of the season? Um, that's all I've got on Texas Um They're one of the, if you ask me to give you the three most intriguing teams in the country, they're probably on that list for I
1: I need to do more thinking about my most interesting team in college basketball. I will say they are on my short list. Okay, all right,
0: good (laughs) to know. All right, let's move to storylines. We talked about Chris Beard. We don't need to to, to rehash that. Um, Where would you like to go next?
1: I'll start very simply. Uh, Will anybody score? (laughs)
0: Will anybody score? Elaborate, Uh, please.
1: Seven of the top 20 teams in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency last season played in the Big 12. <laughs> you mentioned Texas. I talked about TCU. Of mm-hmm. course, Baylor and Kansas, Iowa State. You okay. go down the list. All of the teams that were good in this conference, as a general rule, were excellent defensively. Mm-hmm. Kansas and Baylor were the only two teams inside the top 25 in adjusted offensive efficiency. Unsurprisingly, they were the two best teams in the conference. Uh-huh. Were they the best two defensive teams? No, but they were still excellent defensively. Mm -hmm. They were very much in the ballpark of the other elite defenses in this conference. The difference was they could score. (laughs) So when we're talking about how this conference shakes out, whether that's the difference between Kansas and Baylor at the top, Mm -hmm. whether that's who is able to stay in contention with them, whether that's who is in that tier two below them, whatever this ends up being, whatever conversation you want to have, whether it's which teams make the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. To me, a lot of this is going to be, can somebody else step it up offensively and actually find a way to score against these defenses because they're going to be fantastic again? Or is there one of these teams that we expect to be really good that their downfall ends up being, they just can't take that next step offensively, a la TCU, who was not terrific offensively last season? Mm -hmm. Or kansas with this new roster that i'm sure we'll get to at some point right you know that is one of the things i'm looking at is just is anybody good offensively and if so how many teams because those are probably going to be the best teams in the conference
0: right because this this conference is probably going to get worse offense worse offensively even before you consider the defenses right kansas was sixth in offensive yep. efficiency last year they have a completely new roster yep. um I mean, I'm sure they'll they'll be just fine offensively, but to suggest that they finish outside the top 15 offensive efficiency, especially without a with an unproven big and an unproven yep. point guard, and we'll get to those two things here right. in a, in they a couple didn't, minutes.
1: They didn't need Remy Martin right. most of last season. Right. That's how good they were offensively right. and how
0: balanced they were. Exactly. Yeah. And you gave up. You, you know, right. You sent two guys to the first round of the NBA draft. Yep. Um, Baylor. It'll. They were eighth in a offensive efficiency. If you. Asked me to pick a team that was gonna get even better than last year, as long as they're healthy. Baylor's yep. probably that team. Sure, um, but outside of that, right? The, those two teams were top ten. And uh, forgive me if you if you said all of this, but like then the next closest one was Texas, Texas at twenty six.
1: Yeah, that's why I said top twenty
0: five. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. and then, but then after that, it's Oklahoma at forty right. and <laughs> Kansas State at fifty seven. Yeah. Uh sorry, no uh, Texas Tech at forty two. The point being is exactly what you're saying is that it's not just that these d- defenses are elite. it's that these offenses are not <laughs> at least for the most part yep. across the conference. Um, let's just keep going with Kansas here. um my my storyline is, can Jalen Wilson be the best player on a team that's the top five team in the country, top ten team in the country, wherever you mm-hmm. wherever because wherever you're putting Kansas in the preseason. Like, unless you're just way out in left field, you're assuming that Jalen Wilson is going to be the best player on this team. Or, going...
1: or you got some really high expectations for some players. Right,
0: right. <laughs> but but the logical thing yeah. would be Jalen Wilson's going to be the best player on this team. He's going to take a big jump from 11 points and 7 rebounds, at least in the scoring department. He's going to pick up in production for um, Christian Brown and Ochag Agbaje. Those are your two NBA draft picks. Um, and, like... There are enough questions here that I don't think it's a ridiculous thing to suggest that if Kansas is going to be a title contender, Jalen Wilson is going to need to be an, an, a national All American. And maybe you think really, really highly of some of the other guys on this roster, but the worst Bill Self seasons are seasons that the point guard I'm iffy about, and I think we're iffy about the point guard position this year, and the center position I'm iffy about and at the very least the center position is unproven this year Um, so uh, maybe we're just high on those two places in a way that I'm not like other people but like Jalen Wilson is going to have to be super duper productive and I'm just not totally sure that his style of play is conducive to averaging 16 and a half points a game when he's the number one guy on everybody's On everybody's scouting report. That's Mm -hmm. the guy who, at least at the beginning of the season, maybe somebody else, maybe um, Grady Dick, maybe one of these other guys will kind of step into a role of at least 1A and 1B with Jalen Wilson. But at the beginning of the season, it is Jalen Wilson one and everybody else is behind him. How does he fare in that kind of role? Yeah.
1: And the other player you need to throw into that conversation is Kevin McCullough. Sure. Who has proven, is a proven double digit scorer in the Big 12.
0: But you, you talk for three minutes about his defense and versatility before you right. talk about his offense, right? And that's Which where, is a testament to his defense, not a knock on right. his offense necessarily. But is he a 15 point a game guy? Right. And I'm not sure that's that, the case.
1: right. That has not been proven. Right. And you mentioned right, Dewan Harris is your second leading returning scorer at 5.4 points per game. Yep. Now, the counter I will have a little bit is it is important to also remember the other players that didn't get playing time on this team last season. Bobby Pettiford, KJ Adams was really good. Zach Clements had really good spurts when he did get on the floor. And Joseph Yusefu is still there. Sure. Now, what that actually means, I don't
0: know. Man, remember last yes. year? Like it's been 12 months yep. since we were like, Remy Martin, Joseph Joseph Yusefu, that backcourt, those transfers, yep. let's go win a national championship. They did win a national championship, and Remy Martin was spectacular at times during the NCAA yep. tournament. But it played out very, very, differently. Yep. So I, I felt that.
1: obligated to at least remind people he is still on the
0: roster. Sure. I appreciate that about you. Then
1: you have the recruiting class. You mentioned your your highlight, your big-time five-star recruit in Grady Dick, two other top 35-ish guys, Ernst Uday and MJ Rice. There are plenty of players capable of filling the holes that were left by the guys who are no longer there. Mm-hmm. There's, also, there's also a also awful lot that actually needs to be replaced, right. which I think is what you were getting at, mm. is I actually think this team ceiling is incredibly high. I'm probably higher on the, the ceiling side of this Kansas team than most people. You just need to actually get to that point. You're asking a lot of guys, right? Basically, every player on this roster may be saved to one hitters. You're asking them to be somebody they haven't mm. previously, and that will always scare me. It's Mm -hmm. the opposite of what I was talking about with Creighton, where you're not asking any of those guys to go be something they're not already. Mm. You're asking everybody to take a step up on this team. So that is part of what's really interesting about this for me, is I don't think you have to sort of externally replace everything you lost. Mm -hmm. I think there are some really talented players who just didn't get the playing time they deserved last season. But you also just don't know those guys are ready to go win a Big 12 title and be key pieces on the top five team Mm -hmm. in the country.
0: Which is why, at the end of the day, they'll, I expect them to be a mainstay in the top 25, unless things go horribly wrong. But Kansas is one of those programs that, I mean, when we're talking about the elite, elite recruiters in college basketball, Bill Self is not typically in that elite, elite conversation, right? We talk about now John Shire, we talk about Calipari. Cal, yeah. um, I mean, those are really the two big ones at this point. Um, but... It's not... Like, when was the last time you were just out of this world excited about a Kansas freshman?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're probably talking about... Are we talking Andrew Andrew Wiggins?
0: Wiggins?
1: Yeah, there was a a string in there of, you know, like, so... I mean, Bryce Thompson was supposed to be that. Yep. And it didn't really happen. Yeah, Andrew Wiggins, Ben McElmore. Mm. Right, there was a a series of them for a little while there. And I feel like we're missing one more. Maybe not.
0: Um, But... The point I'm making yeah. is is that as a result, Kansas is kind of one of these programs that is good pretty much every year and elite for two years every four years. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because of this kind of rotation. um, If they bring back a lot of these guys next year, we'll be talking about Kansas as a true national title contender yet again. Um, I'm just not sold that this is the year that they put it all together and it results in a top seven to ten team in the country. Top twenty five mainstay, we'll just we'll just see how quickly these these pieces come together.
1: I also think there's a very real chance this ends up being one of those teams that nobody wants to play in March. Sure. That it takes a while. Mm-hmm. And this has happened with other Kansas teams too, where it's not it's not pretty mm-hmm. from start to finish. But then you walk up and you go Oh, there they go again. Right, exactly. Right up there at top of the Big 12. Bill Self's got these guys clicking at the right time. Because there are so many new pieces, it's going to take time. But yeah, I don't expect them to be... Even if they start preseason top five, I don't expect them to stay in the sort of... Pre, maybe top ten, but... Sp- I don't expect it to be top eight consistently all season. I think there's going to be some ups and downs.
0: The last thing I'll say on Kansas is if Grady Dick doesn't come in and immediately shoot the ball well, nobody on this team is going to shoot the ball well.
1: It's another concern.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of can play into this, how just how good are they, are. Are yep. they this year. Now, Grady Dick is a smooth shooting 6'8 wing. He should be able to shoot, you know, 37% from the three point line, but nobody else is sniffing 35% from the three point line, at least so far in their, in any meaningful way so far in their, in their college careers, or it's just, you know, guys coming in who haven't played college basketball yet. Um, so I think there's a lot of pressure on him, um, to, right, to be good, but also to shoot it well specifically. Yeah. Um, cause if he doesn't shoot it well, um, First of all, that just makes him much less effective, and that hurts the entire team. But then, as an ex- extension of that, I don't know who's going to make you, three point you've shots got if some he does have floor spacing issues, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have how many storylines you got left? I got. We, we've already discussed two of the th- four that I have. I have two left. Okay, so hit me because I've got one more left.
1: Okay, so my other one that we've touched on a little bit is simply how do the tiers in this conference break down? Sure. We talked about Kansas and Baylor. Do they end up on the same level? I think we're sort of in the same spot where we have some trepidations about Kansas, if in a perfect world, Kansas hanging with Baylor. Mm -hmm. Also, does Baylor actually reach that point? Sure. Right? So how do those two teams shake out? And then is there a third team that finds a way to insert themselves into that conversation, be it TCU, be it Texas? We talked about both of those teams. Mm-hmm. And then also, sort of, where is the cutoff at the bottom of this conference? Because you've got a lot of good, not great teams. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, a couple who are in a sort of rebuild or trying to sort of regroup a little bit after disappointing seasons. Most notably, Kansas State, West Virginia. Sure. And can Iowa State replicate? what they did last season. And I'll touch on some of these teams more in, in with my last storyline. But then you have, you know, the Oklahomas of the world, the Texas Techs of the world, the Oklahoma State of the world, who are in good positions. So that's seven teams right there. Mm-hmm. If you add the four that we already talked about, who I think are pretty much the consensus top four teams in this conference. Yeah. Where does that line actually get drawn? Are there, is it six teams where Texas and TCU can't really hang with the the top two and they're sort of more in that jumbled mess so we're talking about a bunch of you know six seven eight nine ten seeds Mm -hmm. or is it five teams where oklahoma state or texas tech is much closer to tcu and texas than oklahoma say Mm
0: -hmm.
1: just throwing out hypotheticals there but that is i just feel like there is just very little clarity (laughs) at any point in this conference other than i feel like i know who the seven best teams are right and even that, I'm not entirely sure about. <laughs> of just is it one? Is it two? Is it three? Mm-hmm. Is it a top five? We're talking about a top six, a top seven. There's just there's a lot. I don't feel like I have a good grasp on in terms of how these teams are going to end up stacking up.
0: Sure, I think the biggest question for me, kind of in, in that in that vein, is is it a one, two, or three yep. top tier in this sure. conference? Mm-hmm. Um, or I mean, or or four? Yep. Right. I mean, could it? Right, we like if you. There are three teams in this conference that if you told me, yep, those the one of those teams is the best team in the co- in the conference this year, I'd believe you. Uh, Baylor and Kansas, of course, being the locks there. If things go right for Texas, they should be one of the best teams in the conference this year. Um, does TCU just kind of do that thing where the continuity results in them winning every close game they're in, kind of in a provenance kind of way um i think that tcu roster is better than the providence roster last year but kind of in that we're so comfortable with each other we win a lot of really close games we never lose at home here we look up halfway through february and we're already you know and we're 12 and 4 in the conference or something like that um 11 and 5 um and then after those five teams there after those four teams there are any of those other teams all that close i think that's that's spot on
1: What's your last storyline?
0: My last storyline is in a hypothetical world that Keontae George is the best player on Baylor's team. Is that a good thing for Baylor or a bad thing? Mm. And and I've been toying with this the last couple of days because if Keontae George is the best player on this team, it's the first time Scott Drew is at a team where a freshman's the best player on his team.
1: At least in a long, long
0: time. At least I, I, would, I would argue in in this era of yes. Baylor is a is a annual title contender. Sure, yes. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I think there's a conversation to be had that maybe that's just because he's so good. Or maybe it's because everybody else isn't that good, right? Maybe Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer, maybe they struggle with injuries. Maybe they just don't take a step forward. I just, I don't, like, a couple years ago, right, it was the the, the overwhelming... Experience and cohesion of those guards that resulted in a national championship. Um, last year, last year it was Matthew Meyer. Last year, I mean, L.J. Crier was was good last year, um, when but healthy. like when healthy. But like Kendall Brown wasn't all that spectacular. I just there are there's there's a couple different classes of elite programs in the country, and right there somewhere right coach k and john calipari know how to operate a team in yep. which they're a, t- a title contender and all of their best players are freshmen right yep and it's not that i don't have faith in scott drew to figure that out but it's just different than your best player being jared butler it's just different right um and so right if that guy if he is actually if he's averaging 18 points heading into Big 12 play, and he's the best player on that team, is it just, man, Baylor is so overwhelming because LJ Cryer and Adam Flagler are good, and that guy is just as good, if not better, than advertised? Or is it kind of, man, I wish we were getting more out of Baylor considering that the best player on their team is a guy that wasn't here last year, and they have all these other pieces that were already proven college players. Um, I don't really know what to do with that. It's just something... When when a guy, it's the same thing with with Mike White at Florida. When it comes to just the roster construction of this team, could be a little different from a who are the best players on the roster perspective. And I mean, we've talked about they might not be as versatile defensively this year. There could just be things that are different about this Baylor team. And they could still be a title contender. They could just not have quite the same pillars as the last couple teams have had. I'm just intrigued by all of these things and intrigued by places in general that that don't have freshmen with this kind of hype nearly as often as some Mm -hmm. other schools i just am always curious by the dynamic that that creates
1: and as talented as these players that are returning are they are not drew timmy right (laughs) right if you want to go to the most recent example of kind of integrating a super Freshman, if you want to call him that, not just a five star recruit, but one of the most hyped recruits in the country, into a team with title expectations. Chet Holmgren had a guy in the front court with him who was already an All American. Mm -hmm. You are talking about some of Keontae George's teammates as potential All Americans, but they have not gotten there yet. So that makes this interesting from that perspective for me as well. And I was going to say what you said at the beginning uh, that my immediate thought when you asked that question was. Well, that could be a good thing for Baylor or a bad thing if the answer is yes. Right. It just depends on how things play right.
0: out. And it that's could... the that's the base simple question right. that I'm getting at.
1: Right. It could mean, oh my word, that dude is the best of all of these players and you can't stop any of them. Yeah. <laughs> because you can't help off of him, or you've got Cryer and Flagler who are just gonna knock down forty percent of their threes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or it's does he have the help he needs mm-hmm. To actually get this team where they're supposed to be, it could go both ways, like you said. Very interesting.
0: Yeah, that's the and now staring at a, at the Kim page for the Big Twelve, I have one more thing that I wanted to talk, to talk about. But okay, you can go ahead unless you want me to go real quick. You can just go quick. Um, the five best players at Kim in the Big Twelve were all seniors: Baji, James, Kenjo, Isaiah Brockington, Bryson Williams at Texas Tech, and David McCormack. Those were those were the in Kim right every. Conference has a Kempom players ranking um, on the conference page. If you know Kempom, you know what I'm talking about. Those five players are all seniors. Um, and some of the guys that, right, you know, your Matthew Meyer is gone. You know, he's no longer in the Big 12. Um, who who, who are those five guys at the end of the season? That's the that's the only other thing I'll add. Yeah, there are plenty of choices. There are plenty of choices. Um, <laughs> your last storyline, sir.
1: My final storyline is... We've touched on this a little bit, but I want to go in-depth for a minute. Okay. Continuity versus transfers. Sure. <laughs> Who wins? Mm. Because I'm kind of looking at this conference, and I feel like, by and large, it's one or the other. On the continuity side, specifically, you have TCU and Texas. And I'm throwing Baylor in there because there are some core pieces coming back. No, it's not the completely same roster, but there's plenty returning for them as well. Mm-hmm. On the other side of this, you have teams like... Oklahoma State, Mm -hmm. who has one, two, three really productive mid-major players coming in that are going to play key roles. Okay, so you have Avery Anderson, Bryce Thompson, Musa Cisse back, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. So you're going to need some help there to sort of elevate yourself back into top 25 contention. Texas Tech, I mean, you're basically playing transfers and Kevin O'Banner. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, Big Maple had the injury. Ah. Oh, on the right a side though.
0: Silence for Big Maple.
1: I really liked what I saw from Daniel Bacho last season, mm-hmm. and he's gonna be the guy to step in there. They might be okay. I was I'm really intrigued by him. That's a name to keep an eye on. And then you've got some, you know, freshmen that you could throw in there specifically Elijah Fisher, but all kinds of new pieces, right? Mark sure. Adams has just rebuilt this thing. Iowa State went and grabbed everybody, two, two, and specifically two players from St. Bonaventure and yep. Jaron Holmes and Osuno Sunahi, who were really important pieces on that team that was good, but not quite as good as I think we all expected right. them to be.
0: A little underwhelming, yeah.
1: Right, but you're you're talking about the pieces you have returning are Gabe Kelser, Jazz Koontz, and Caleb Grill mm-hmm. There's a lot of new faces in there. <laughs>
0: yes, there is.
1: West Virginia, your single notable returner is Kedrian Johnson. And then you got these fascinating transfers. Joe Tucson from Iowa, Emmett Matthews comes back for round 2 after a year at Washington, mm-hmm. Eric Stevenson was a double digit scorer for South Carolina, yep. and Trey Mitchell from Texas.
0: Mm. You ever seen more transfer musical chairs within a conference? I do
1: right? It's bizarre. Mm. Scott Drew and Bob Huggins are just out here trading players. Right,
0: literally. They just made a trade. There's like a there's like a beer given to one guy and a 2024 first round pick and they made the swap. And
1: the player to be named later. Right. Don't forget about that. <laughs> right.
0: Of course. It's my favorite thing of all time in baseball. Ah, we'll give you a, a, a player to be named. It's like... <laughs> plus cash. Right, plus cash. It's like the other team getting to choose which three... Which which guy on the other team gets to take the free throws when the guy that got fouled is injured and mm-hmm. can't take the free throws. It's like, you will just give you the guy that we don't think is any good. Like, I, anyways.
1: So, of course, it wasn't an actual trade, but you got players... Yeah, plenty of movement within the conference... Well, you don't I, know that.
0: They could have they sat at the bar and had a beer and had an unofficial first-round pick swapped. I guess
1: in theory that is or that or, is or, like, or
0: like a, they, they swapped, you know, if we both like this transfer at one point, like <laughs> you get to visit him first.
1: So I'm actually intrigued by West Virginia <laughs> with all of these pieces. I, I think people have kind of just lumped them in. There's some talent there mm. now. Does it all come together? Who knows? And then, of course... Kansas State.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Shout out to Marquise Noel for sticking around. <laughs> but you have a bunch of... The players that Jerome Tang brought in, maybe they're not the biggest names in the world, but these are guys with high major experience. Sure. Headlined by Keontae Johnson and Desi Sills, who have done this for good basketball teams.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I'm i going to say are it are two now,
0: names right there. Those are two names. I'm
1: going to say right now, I believe... Kansas State is going to surprise some people. Do I think they're going to make the NCAA tournament? No. Do I think they're going to be clearly the worst team in this conference? No. And then you've got the two teams kind of in the middle. I mentioned Baylor. And then the other one is Oklahoma. You've got the Groves Brothers back, Jalen Hill back. Mm -hmm. But Grant Shurfield is the guy taking over your offense. And you've got a couple top 100 freshmen coming in as well. But even Oklahoma, who has some continuity, it's a key transfer that is going to determine just how far they can go this season. So I just feel like you can kind of break these teams for the most part into all in on the transfer portal or trying to hold a a roster together and getting a bunch of guys back. Mm. What does that mean at the end of the season? Are we able to even make some kind of conclusion about whether one worked more effectively than the other? Mm. Or is it, you know, the continuity worked for Baylor and TCU, but it didn't work for... Texas transfers worked for Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, but not West Virginia and Iowa State. I'm just very curious by and, all And this. maybe
0: the, the place we end up looking to come to that conclusion is teams 6 through 10 in yep. this conference. Absolutely. Maybe it has nothing to do with those top yep. five. You're right, because Baylor Baylor continuity, meaning <laughs> the same thing as, you know, pick another team that's going to finish in the bottom. Ten- like, of course, those two things aren't the same thing. Right, but, right. But... Um, Maybe maybe we're not even looking to the top of the conference to figure that out. Maybe we're looking. Maybe maybe Kansas State is does surprise some people. While you know, if there's a team that falls to the bottom of the conference, we weren't necessarily expecting. Yep.
1: Or even you know, maybe three through ten or something like that. We're right. It's it's going to be multiple data points, and the bottom of the conference is going to tell a big part of that story. Absolutely.
0: How many teams are make? How many teams have a chance to make the tournament?
1: I have eight.
0: I have seven. So I'll of read my seven. Do. I'll read my seven and then you'll give me the last team. As long as it's not Kansas State, it's fine. Um, Kansas, Baylor, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. Say that one more time, please. Kansas. Yep. Yeah. Baylor. Yep. Yeah. TCU. Yep. Yeah. Texas. Yep. Yeah. Texas Tech. Yep. Yeah. Oklahoma State. Yep. Yeah. And Iowa State. Okay. I thought you were gonna have a different set. I do
1: have all seven of those teams.
0: And who's the last team you have?
1: I have Oklahoma in there. Okay. I, real quick on Oklahoma, and then we can talk about the other seven. Uh, Grant Shurfield put up numbers, big-time numbers, and you've got the Groves brothers back. You have a nice foundation, and it's Porter Moser.
0: Hmm.
1: I am not to the point in the Porter Moser time at Oklahoma where I get super concerned about maybe not having quite the same talent level as some of the other teams around him sure. and trust him to find a way to go 500 in conference and get in it as a 8 or 9 seed. Sure. So I threw Oklahoma in there as well.
0: Um, I think Iowa State's going to play really annoying defense this oh, year. Yeah. Um, and when you look through Kempom, this team gets this conference gets six teams in the in, in the tournament. That is the that is the general rule of thumb. And six to and everyone, but like it's usually either five or six that get into. And, and there are seven. There are seven teams in the conversation. There are eight teams that are that you can logically have a conversation about. But my thing with the Big 12 every year is that somebody's got to lose games. Yep. And generally speaking, when it comes to my philosophy for picking teams that could make the tournament, it's one more than I think will make the tournament. I think six teams will make the tournament in this conference this year. I think those six teams are Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, Texas, TCU, and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State. Those are the six teams I think will make the tournament. And by philosophy, I put one more team in there. I think Iowa State will ju- like, just play really good defense. And if you ask me to pick who I think... And I almost just went six because I really just think six. But and out of principle, add one more in there. And I'll just pick the team that I think is going to have one of the ten best defenses in the country this year.
1: Yeah, it is... I'm, I'm with you about the six. I think there is a cutoff at six, and then seven, eight, nine, ten get a little bit messier for me. Uh, I do think there are enough pieces for Iowa State to do it. The other thing I put down, I thought you were going to go with Oklahoma. I feel obligated to include Iowa State because even I didn't put them in last season mm-hmm. as a team that can make the NCAA tournament. Therefore... I felt that it was proper for me to apologize to T.J. Yeah, Otzelberger. Therefore, you feel guilty. <laughs> I, I feel obligated to apologize to T.J. Otzelberger by putting them in this season, even mm-hmm. though I don't particularly feel great about it. Because if he can do it once, he can do it twice. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm very generous about the teams that can make the NCAA tournament. I like being optimistic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And even I didn't have last
0: season. <laughs> um, there were a lot. I think this is going to be a year where the the top four four or five teams in the conference won a lot of games I think we'll get to right so last year I mean all the way down to eighth in the conference won seven games I'm not sure I think I think right but fourth in the conference was Texas and they only won 10 games yep I think we'll get to a point that instead of combined the top eight to four teams what you know they won 40 games No, sorry 50 games combined the top the top 10 te- the top 4 teams did last year. I think we'll probably be more in the 55 range. That maybe nobody gets to 14, maybe one team gets to 14, but there are those other three teams all get to at least 11 and we add a few more wins in there. Um, my point being is that I think like instead of the the 8th team winning 7 games that maybe the 8th team wins like five, 5 games and those wins kind of go to the top of the conference this year, um, which is kind of the why the cutoff is where it is
1: if there's one thing that scares me from a kansas state perspective as optimistic as i want to be it's honestly the same thing i said about iowa state last year which was somebody has to lose right right this idea of it's not that i think kansas state is inherently the worst team in a high major conference it's that you look at the other nine teams they have to play 18 times and you go well who are they going to beat because this conference is so deep it makes life really difficult to be one of the teams at the bottom. Whereas if you're in the Big Ten or the ACC, you've got five, six, seven games. You feel whether it's you know a majority of your home schedule outside of the top teams, mm-hmm. or you know you're going on the road at Penn State or at Minnesota or at Nebraska. If you're, say, Maryland, mm-hmm. I'm, and Maryland is not a. Lower tier Big Ten team in my mind, but just picking a team. Sure, I was trying to find a, a middle one, and I kind of blanked. <laughs> do you do you have a better mid tier Big Ten team this year
0: specifically, or in just general? in general? Indiana.
1: Sure, that's actually probably a good example, right? If if you're right, if you're Indiana trying to make the NCAA tournament last season, that's yeah. what I was going for. Thank yeah. you. You you look at at Maryland, at Minnesota, at Penn State. Games you can win. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when Wisconsin comes to Assembly Hall, game you can win. Mm -hmm. I I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm pulling for you from Tang. I really am. Those games just don't really. I mean, you're looking at, okay, you feel pretty good about West Virginia. You feel like you can maybe get Oklahoma. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Maybe you can get Iowa State on a game they can't score. But even if you sweep those three teams, that's still only six wins. Right. And that's assuming you beat all three of them on the road. Right. And then you've got to go deal with the other six teams we've talked about. I, I, there's part of me that just never thinks the bottom of this conference is actually as bad as it looks on paper, which is just what I wanted to add your point about. Because I do see your logic in that, that it's going to be a little bit more unbalanced this season. And to me, that's just not a commentary on the teams at the bottom. It's just, again, pointing to how deep this conference is and how difficult it is
0: to get from being at the bottom to being in the middle. And you don't have to look any further than, like, I mean, West Virginia went 4-14 and in conference last year. Yep. They were 66 at the Kempom. 66. Mm-hmm. The SEC's worst team, they had two teams. The, the, the SEC's worst team was Georgia at 219. Now, that team was horrible last year. But even if you go to Ole Miss, who went 4-14 and in conference... 108, Missouri 5-13, 137, and you can go all the way down the list. I mean, like even the Big East, which is the closest conference to what we're talking about here in terms of conference size, right, with 11 teams, Georgetown was 175. There's just no conference that that rivals that, and you go to the Big Ten as well. I mean, Nebraska was 140th. We can go all the way down the list. All 10 of the Big 12 teams, according to Kempom, were in the top 70 teams in the country last year.
1: And that is one of the biggest reasons I've, I firmly fight for this conference as in the past five or so years as the best conference in the country mm. because that happens consistently. Mm. Now, you have, the one horrible Iowa State team, but again, I argue they would have won four or five games if they were playing a different conference. Mm. Just, yes, you're you're absolutely right. Thank you for illustrating that statistically. And then it's, that
0: translates to, I mean, back-to-back national title, yeah. title teams. Baylor was one of the best teams in the country, along with yep. Kansas the year before. Texas Tech got there in 2019 to, in the national championship game. And eight
1: and ten Big 12 teams are NCAA tournament teams. I will consistently go to bat for that as well, because again, you don't have teams that you don't have wins. Right. I we need to put more content. It's another conversation for another day. But it's one of my big issues with seeding and teams that get in is we act like conferences are consistent and eight and you know going under 500 in conference means the same thing when it just doesn't. Right. Yep. I'll get off my soapbox now.
0: Spot on. Uh, your winner? Baylor? Yeah,
1: I don't have too many reservations about this. That is, <laughs> if it's healthy, just an absolutely just loaded unfair. backcourt. <laughs> just yeah. unfair. You asked me the question the other day, is that the best backcourt in the country? And, I mean, I to me the answer is yes, assuming they're healthy. Both of your centers are hopefully back eventually. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk too much about the transfers, but you mentioned them. You have new pieces that are going to add something to as well. Lace in love. That addition cannot be overlooked. Mm-hmm. He was a big-time recruit who, unfortunately, as you said, just wasn't healthy last season. But hopefully he's 100% now. And the reality is, despite everything they went through last season and all of those injuries, they still shared the Big 12 regular season title with the national champions. Mm-hmm. And Kansas does not have the same team on paper they had last season. No. This Baylor team should be better. And I would argue there's a world in which they are significantly better. Where we're talking about Baylor... we Here's my hot take. We might get to a point where we are having another Baylor-Gonzaga conversation. Interesting. Maybe not to the same extent when it was just so obvious from day one, those were the best two teams in the country. hmm but I will not be surprised if that's what we're talking about heading into the NCAA tournament as the most likely national championship matchup.
0: That's how highly I think of this Baylor team if everything goes right. You know, we're to the point where, you know, for the last 10 years, it's been, you know what, I don't really care if Kansas doesn't have the best team in the Big 12. I'm still going to pick them to win the Big 12 because Bill Self does it better than anybody else. Now, historically, does Bill Self still do it better than everybody else? Of course. But we're to the point where, if if Baylor has the better basketball team, which I believe they do, it's without hesitation Baylor's going to win the conference, right? We're we're to that point, and then we're actually having a conversation. If I feel like Kansas and Baylor are right there next to each other, about who's going to win the conference, because it used to be the tiebreaker. If there was any way, shape, or form that there was one, <laughs> it went to Kansas because they had Bill Self and yep. they just don't lose multiple games in a row in the Big Twelve, and they just went. They just that's just what they yep. do. Um, I have Baylor as well. I think it's the best team on paper. And I think Scott Drew has gotten to the point where if he's got the best team on paper, you're not allowed to pick anybody else.
1: And you made an an important point that was the same thing I remember specifically saying, and you, I think you agreed with me last year. I remember saying at this very point on this very podcast, that's, that's a really good Kansas team from a roster construction standpoint. Mm-hmm. And you hit on this earlier. You don't have the All-American caliber big, and you don't have the All-American caliber point guard. Now, Kansas ended up not... Or just guard. Right. Not really having either of those things last season. But they got enough out of Remy Martin and David McCormick that ultimately, when it mattered most, they were able to play the way Bill Self wants to with right. his, you know, through his big. Right. I don't know who those players are right now. This is not constructed to be one of those patented... Phil self teams that you look up and they've won the big 12 again, international title contenders. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I feel, I think I did pick Baylor two seasons ago. I felt comfortable going off of Kansas.
0: And I remember going against you two yeah. years ago. Yeah. And so, the point being is that I won't, I won't do right. that again. And, and I remember it, the reason being, this is what somebody Kansas needs does. to actually do it. This yeah. is what Kansas. Right. Does. Which was
1: absolutely valid at that point because they've dominated this conference. That All this to say I'm agreeing with you that we're having a different conversation and evaluating this differently. It is, okay, some years Baylor's going to have the better roster, some years Kansas is going to have the better roster. Coaches are basically a push at this point because mm-hmm. Scott Drew's figured out how to navigate this conference too. Right. So it's a year-to-year situation of which team do you feel better about and it's not hard for me to choose and it didn't sound like it was hard for you either.
0: There we go. There's the Bears. There's the Big Twelve. Anything? I mean, you touched on pretty much everybody in that last storyline. I you do agree? believe we got everybody. I believe we did. I believe we did. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's once again going to be the absolute gauntlet of the college basketball conference slate. Right, every single week. It's a man. That's a. I mean, man, good for Baylor. They they beat Kansas at at Fog Allen Fieldhouse and. Texas Tech came to town and they beat them. Oh boy, you get to play Texas and TCU on the road this week. <laughs> right. Congratulations! Um, it's a, it's just a never-ending gauntlet in the Big Twelve. But the reason why we love this conference and the reason why once we get to the end of uh, the end of March and early April, a lot of times there's a Big Twelve team that's part of the conversation in the Final Four. Anything else?
1: Last go-around for this rendition. We should probably mention yep. that before we get out. Yep. And. It also just makes me happy that in this conversation the two teams we're talking about the most will still be in this conference. Yes. That
0: That's a really good point.
1: This conference, basketball wise, is going to be more than okay. <laughs> this conference doesn't if need if you te- ask
0: Kempom, it's gonna get better.
1: Yeah. Doesn't need Texas, doesn't need Oklahoma. No. Do you take a slight step back? Maybe. Maybe. At least in the short term as these teams, you know, sort of get themselves integrated into the mm. the high major level for some of them coming from the AACs and Mountain West of the world. But <laughs> you still got Bill Selman and Scott Drew.
0: And you're and, bringing... And Mark
1: Adams. And you can go down the list. It's... Big Twelve basketball is here to stay. That makes me very. Not happy. to mention
0: that you're bringing back one of the only one of the two teams in college basketball that has finished top fifteen at Kempom in the last six years. Right, right.
1: Team. Calvin Sampson's coming too. Calvin
0: yeah, he's on his way. He's <laughs> on his way. Um, last thing on Thursday, Friday, the end of this week, um, we're gonna have Kendall Kendall Kout on the podcast to talk Baylor hoops and the rest of the Big Twelve. Kendall. A former contributor of the SB Nation site for uh, Baylor now works for Sikkim 360, writes for Sikkim 365, and he also wrote a book on the 2020 national championship team called "How They Drew It Up: Baylor's Unforgettable 2021 Championship Season." Um, it's a I, I like the title. It was a good conversation, a uh, very upbeat conversation. So um, that'll be on Thursday and be the complimentary. Uh, interview, conversation, chat—we have with somebody who is ingrained in in the Big Twelve, and he has lots of thoughts on lots on, of ba- thoughts. on Baylor coming into the season, <laughs> as well as other as well as other um, as well as other teams in the conference. And as two guys that appreciate a good tangent, we very much appreciated having Kendall uh, Kendall <laughs> on the podcast. But that's on Thursday to round out Big Twelve week, and then we'll just keep it rolling. It's it's October fourth. We're now basically exactly a month away from the beginning of the college basketball season. It is getting ever closer every single day, and uh, we'll keep it rolling. Um, please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel; it's over there. I pointed in the right direction. Go Way to go? Um, follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. YouTube, just type in uh, Jays for Days podcast. You can get video versions of the pod if you've been listening on Apple Podcasts or in an audio medium. You can find the video versions there. And we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.